Many years ago, there was a couple who lived in communist Russia. Uh, they were walking down the street one day when it started precipitating in some form, and they were getting into an argument about what it was doing. And the wife said, "Well, I mean, the husband said to his wife, it's raining." And the wife said, "No, it's not. It's it's snowing." And so about this time, they see a communist officer, and they look, and his name happened to be Rudolph. And they ask him, walked up to him and asked him, Sir, is it raining or is it snowing? And Rudolph said, well, it's raining. And the couple walked, walked off, and the husband thought that had settled it. And the wife said, well, why should we trust what that guy says? And the husband said, isn't it obvious? Rudolph the Red... Nose rain, dear. <laughs> now, <clears throat> what? <laughs> if if the church completely collapses, you'll know it all started right there. Now, why why do I start off with a joke this morning? Uh, Stephen Colbert has said that joy is the infallible sign of the existence of God. So some of you just proved the existence of God. Others of you, not so much, maybe. Um, I, I start with a joke this morning because I, I want us to think today about laughter. We want to think today about laughter. Uh, some of the best memories I think that we as a family are making are those times of laughter uh, around the supper table. Some of my all-time favorite memories in my life involve laughter. And not just chuckling at a bad joke or, or silly joke, but that uncontrollable milk shooting out of your nose kind of laughter uh, that happens, for instance, when a homeless or a guy who looks like a homeless man but who isn't a homeless man, who's wearing sweatpants and a sweatshirt, comes and plays the piano at your church. And then when you get to the song, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, he switches the electronic piano to trumpet blast and begins to play. And you as a pastor stand there and watch people in the congregation laughing uncontrollably and you're just trying to hold it together. And that really did happen. Um, but, 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 but we all have these, these stories and these incidents that we can look back on of laughter, of just laughing with this uncontrollable joy. And if heaven is this place of infinite joy, then certainly it's going to be a place of laughter. But in the meantime, earth is kind of a, a mixed bag, isn't it? A, a friend of mine once said, when I was younger, I thought life was a comedy. When I was older, I began to think of it more like a tragedy. Uh, and I think many of us who were fortunate enough to be shielded from, many, from much of the brokenness of the world as children, we can begin to feel that way as we get older. Life seemed like a comedy, but as we get older, it seems like more of a tragedy. And so my question for us to think about as we look at this text today is this, when we're faced with the realities of life in a broken world, when we're beginning to, to feel cynical about the possibility of finding real laughter and real joy again, how do we get the laughter back? Or how do we move from that cynical laugh that's grown in us? How do we move from that laugh of cynical unbelief to a laugh of joyous belief? That's what we're going to think about today. We're going to look this morning at the book of Genesis. And I'm going to read, first of all, from Genesis 18. This is God's Word. 
And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour kneaded and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. And then from Genesis 21 The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Can you pray for us? God, thank you for giving us your word and and thank you for giving us joy and laughter. I I pray this morning that as we look at your word that, that we would be a people... Uh, that as we come to know the Christ of your word, that we ourselves would know uh, deep joy and great laughter ourselves. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so our question again is, how do I move from the cynical laugh of unbelief, from the cynical laugh of unbelief to the joyous laughter and freedom of belief? Uh, that's really what we see in Sarah's life here. I'll give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, in the previous few chapters of Genesis, God has made a covenant with Abraham. He's come to Abraham and he's promised him a land. He's promised him descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And he's promised that in him, in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, we saw last week that ultimately this promise to Abraham is not just about a piece of land in the Middle East. The promise is about how Abraham's offspring, in particular his one offspring, Jesus Christ, will will bring blessing 
to the world. How Jesus will bring salvation. How Jesus will bring forgiveness to everyone who's connected to him by faith. So that today, everyone who believes in Jesus, who's connected to him by faith, they are now considered offspring of Abraham as well. They're a recipient of these promises that God made many years ago to Abraham. That's all big stuff. But in order to get there, there's a little step that has to happen first. In order to get to Jesus, in order to get to all these numerous offspring, you got to get started. You've got to start with one child first. But that was a problem because Abraham and Sarah weren't able to have children. In chapter 16, which we didn't read, Sarah recognizes this problem and she comes to Abraham and says, The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that, that I may obtain children by her. So Hagar, Sarah's servant, and Abraham have a child together. And this child is named Ishmael. Then in chapter 17, uh, God appears to Abraham again and says, I will give you a son by Sarah. I will give you a son by Sarah. And Abraham's reaction to this is very similar to Sarah's reaction that we read today. He falls on his face laughing. Really, shall a child be born to me, a man almost 100 years old, and to my wife, Sarah, who is 90 years old. And Abraham says at this point to God, Oh, that Ishmael shall live before you. In essence, Abraham is saying, Well, that, that's nice what you're saying here, God, but I don't really see that happening. And we've got Ishmael here. May the, may the covenant promises come through through Ishmael. And God at that point says to Abraham, No, but Sarah, your son shall bear, excuse me, but Sarah will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Which brings us to the text that we just read this morning. Where God appears to Abraham again. And he asks where Sarah is. And so it's obvious that this conversation at this point is actually for Sarah's benefit. And so Abraham, excuse me, God says so that Sarah can hear him as she's listening in the tent. I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah laughs. And verse 11 said to herself, excuse me, verse 12 said to herself, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah laughs, but it's this cynical laugh of I don't, I really don't think so. Um, George Lucas wasn't directly involved in making the new Star Wars movies, uh, but he did have the responsibility of trying to recruit some of the actors from the original Star Wars series to see if they would re-up and be a part uh, of this new trilogy. And when he called Mark Hamill, who played Luke Skywalker, Hamill didn't call him back for several weeks. And the reason he said he didn't call him back was he thought it was just some, some publicity, something about a Blu-ray release, or they were going to convert Star Wars to 3D or something, and he just he didn't think it was that urgent. And his wife finally said to him, what if he's going to do another trilogy? And Hamill's reaction was, he laughed. He laughed, he's not doing another 
true. That's not going to happen. That's the kind of laughter that Sarah exhibits here. That's her reaction. Come on, that's, yeah, that's funny. Let's be serious. Nobody around here is having children at our ages. Now fast forward to chapter 21. Sarah does have a child. And the child's name is Isaac, which means laughter. His name means laughter. And Sarah says in verse 6, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Sarah is, is now laughing in joy and in belief and in wonder. And everyone hears her story will laugh with her at this amazing thing that God has done. But how did she get there? How did she get from, from, from one place to the other? What, what changed her laughter? She had this cynical laughter, but then she had this joyous laughter. What was it that changed Sarah's laughter? How do we move from the cynical laughter of unbelief to the joyous laughter of belief? How do we hold on to laughter in a tragic world? There's three things, I think, in this text that we can see that changed Sarah's laughter. And I think there's three things we can see that will change your laughter and my laughter as well. And there are these. Uh, remembering who God is, remembering His promise, and remembering the child. Excuse me, seeing the child. Remembering who God is, remembering the promise, and seeing the child. The first thing, if our laughter is going to change, is we have to remember who God is. Look, look with me again at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? For our cynical laughter of unbelief to be changed to the joyous laughter of belief, we have to remember that our God, we have to remember who He is and that our God is all-powerful. He can do anything that pleases Him. And we have to lean into that. The Hebrew word that our text translates uh, as too hard can also be translated wonderful or extraordinary. It's the same word. In Psalm 139, uh, thinking of God's omniscience, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's the same word that's used here in our text this morning. In Isaiah 9, 6, the same word is used of the coming king when it refers to him as the wonderful counselor. See, it's not just that God does things that are humanly impossible. He does things that are amazingly wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, in his book, A Praying Life, which I'm, I'm slowly telling you all the stories in that book, so you won't have to buy it. But Paul Miller tells these stories about uh, his daughter, Kim, who's autistic. Uh, she has weak, fine motor skills. She's, she's mute. And he kind of weaves stories of how God has worked in her life in answer to their prayers. Well, one of the things that happened was when she turned 16, Paul and his wife, Jill, really began to panic about how, how is she ever going to get a job? Like, is there any work that she's going to be able to do when she graduates from high school? And so they got her a job volunteering at the nursing home. And that didn't work out. 
And then they got her a job volunteering in the library, but he said it was kind of giving a, a, a alcoholic a job stocking liquor because she would read, she would put two books on the shelf and then she would stop and read one of them. And then she'd put two more and then she'd read another one. Uh, and she was not very good at the whole alphabetical order thing either, so that didn't work out. Then she got a job working in a video store. That didn't work out. And so finally they decided, they decided we're going to have to hire an aide to go with her to jobs to assist her in, in what she's doing. And he writes, Jill was unabashed about asking strangers to pray that Kim would get a job. She made the persistent widow look like a wallflower. And so finally, six weeks before Kim is going to graduate, Jill has just gone into the printers to pick something up. And the printer says, hey, did Kim ever get a job? He says, no, we've never found a job for her. He says, well, let me call somebody. And he calls a friend who owned a kennel and said he would hire her to walk dogs as long as she had an aide to help her. And she loved dogs, and so it seemed like a perfect fit. And so they <clears throat> prepared to do this, but they had one little catch in their plan. They didn't know how they were going to pay for an aide to help her. And so they continued to pray for this. And then two weeks before graduation, Kim's social worker called, and she said, hey, the state audited us a month ago. And they said, we need to get more creative in the way that we're doing things. And I suggested to them that we pay for an aid for Kim. And they agreed to do it. And so Kim has been walking dogs now since 2003 and, and loving every minute of it. Uh, but Paul Miller writes, sometimes they can't get an aid, and so he and his wife will go in and help. And he, and he says this, I have prayed for humility. And it dawned on me that God was answering my prayer. I would have preferred humility to come over me like magic. Instead, God teaches humility in humble places. He keeps me sane by letting me pick up dog manure after I've spoken at a conference. What I thought was a stone was really a loaf of bread. God created a wonder with Ken finding work. I suspect that the jobless rate among adults who have Ken's level of disability is close to 99%. When we were praying for Kim to get a job, sometimes we felt like we were praying for the sky to turn from blue to pink. But as the angel told Mary, nothing will be impossible for God. It's the same thing that he told Sarah. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is too wonderful for God. Nothing is too hard for, for God to pull off because He loves to do impossibly wonderful things for His people. Knowing that, knowing that, that that's who our God is, is the first step toward having the joyous laughter of belief in our lives. Now, I, I need to say here, that doesn't mean that if we just pray enough or if we just have enough faith, that God will automatically do whatever we ask Him to do. He's not a cosmic vending machine in the sky. But it should energize us to pray. It should bring us joy that, that our God who loves us, that for Him nothing is impossible. Jesus encourages us to ask and to seek and to knock. He tells us that our Father loves to give His children good gifts as we ask for them. And so we ask and we seek and we trust God and we don't give up. But at that same time, we're trusting and believing and praying Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Trusting that our Father who loves us knows the best outcome in every situation. 
knowing that God is weaving together billions of different stories, making this tapestry uh, that's for His glory and that's for the good of His people. Well, our second point here, in order for our cynicism to be turned to joy, we have to remember who God is, that nothing is impossible for our God. But we also have to remember that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. That when God makes a promise, He keeps it. What was the promise in this case? Back in Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then that's exactly Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which, at the time of which God had spoken to him. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He hasn't promised to give us everything we want. He hasn't promised to give us everything we think we need. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. That's a promise He makes. He has promised that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No matter what your sins are, there is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ. He has promised to go with us as we go out and do the work of evangelism as we carry out the Great Commission. He has promised that He has gone before us to prepare a place for us in heaven. Uh, in the movie, We Were Soldiers, Mel Gibson is giving this rousing speech before he leads his men off to Vietnam to, to go into battle. And, and part of the speech, he says, we're going into battle against a determined enemy. I can't promise that I will bring you all home alive. But this I swear before Almighty God, I will leave no one behind, dead or alive, and we will all come home together. Mel could promise that, and I honestly don't remember what happened in the movie. He could promise that. He could do his best, but he really couldn't guarantee that, could he? God says to believers in Jesus Christ, we will all be in our heavenly home together one day. You can bank on that. You can count on that. The ones who die, the ones who are still here, when I come back, we will all be in our heavenly home together and you will experience one day the eternal joy of living this sinless existence in my presence and in the presence of all fellow believers. We will be in this place where we will have eternal feasting, eternal joy, eternal laughter, eternal music, Eternal celebration. God promises these things to his children. Uh, Stephen Colbert was interviewed in GQ magazine recently. He was the youngest of 11 siblings, and when he was, I think it was when he was 10, the two siblings closest to him in age and his father were all killed in a car wreck. And the interviewer was asking him, why he seems so genuinely grounded and joyful. He said, you know, there's so many comedians that, 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 that just seem angry or wounded. 
But you seem so genuinely joyful. Why is that? And it's a fascinating response. Let me, let me read you just part of it. He said, I was left alone a lot after dad and the boys died. And it was just me and mom for a long time. And, and by her example, I am not bitter. By her example, she was not broken, yes, bitter, no. Maybe, he said, she had to be that for him. He has said this before, that even in those days of unremitting grief, she drew on her faith that the only way not to be swallowed by sorrow, to in fact recognize that our sorrow is inseparable from our joy, is to always understand our suffering, ourselves, in the light of eternity. What is this in the light of eternity? Imagine being a parent so filled with your own pain and yet still being able to pass that on to your son. He's, he's seen that life was a tragedy. He had to deal with that at an early age. But part of the reason that he's not angry and bitter is that he's been able to see all of that in the light of eternity. He's been able to trust God in the midst of tragedy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to have tough days. You're going to have sorrowful days and painful days. But you can keep your hope. You can keep your joy. You can retain your laughter because you know the promises of God. Promises of forgiveness of sins. Promises of eternal life. Promises that all things will be made new. Promises that He's working for your good as His child. When God makes these promises he always keeps his promises well if we're going to have true laughter we've got to remember who our God is and nothing is too impossible for him we've got to remember who our God is we've got to remember his promise that he always keeps his promises and then finally we've got to see the child look in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 21 Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Isaac means laughter. And with the arrival of Isaac, Sarah's transformation here is complete. The cynical laughter of unbelief has become the joyous laughter of belief. If you've been to a funeral, there's one thing at a funeral that will pretty much always make everybody smile. You know what it is? It's little children. It's little children. You can, you can be at the, the worst funeral, but the one thing that will kind of snap everybody away from the grieving for a moment is to see little children running around full of joy at the funeral. Children bring joy. Children reproduce, reintroduce us to wonder. That's why as we get older, we, we still love Christmas morning if, if there are little children involved. Because we see... Christmas through their eyes, we see the wonder that they experience. It, it puts us back in touch with wonder again. 
Sarah is being reintroduced to wonder. She's found joyful laughter when she sees the wonder of this child. You and I find joy through a child as well. Uh, In the New Testament passage that we read this morning, Mary is told by the angel Gabriel that her barren relative Elizabeth, Elizabeth is with child. And that she herself, although she is a virgin, will give birth to the very Son of God. Because, and there's the phrase again, nothing will be impossible. Nothing is too wonderful for God. We get joy. We get joy, the joy that Sarah had when we see Jesus. When we see the better Isaac. The, the one who came for us. The one who came as our assurance of forgiveness reminded us, the one who came that our sins might be forgiven, who came to save us from our sins, the one who our Advent reading reminded us comes to bring good news of of great joy, good news of great joy through Jesus Christ. Uh, The Jesus Storybook Bible, which I love, tells the story of Isaac, and it ends this way. One day, God would send another baby. A child promised to a girl who didn't even have a husband. But this baby would bring laughter to the whole world. Mark Hamill, was, who I mentioned earlier, was being interviewed about the Star Wars movie. And he said, the world is so horrible. Between the Middle East and gun violence and global warming and racism... It's just horrible. And people need this. They need this movie. It's therapeutic. In five days, on December 18th, we celebrate the return of a made-up story that brings temporary wonder and that has been bringing temporary wonder to the world since 1976. The next Star Wars movie comes out. And we've got tickets. I don't know about you. We're excited about it. But it can't really fix anything. It may be therapeutic, but it can't fix anything that's wrong with the world. In 12 days, we celebrate another story, a true story. We celebrate the story of a king who was born because nothing is too wonderful for God. A king who came so that our sins might be forgiven. A king who came to bring laughter to the entire world. A king who will return one day to make all things new. If you and I are really going to laugh, if we're going to move from that cynical laughter of, yeah, right, to the joyous laughter of belief, we have to remember who God is, that nothing is too impossible, nothing is too wonderful for him to do we have to remember what he promises to do and then we need to know this child who brings forgiveness of sin and life eternal let me pray for us father i pray that you would uh, meet us uh, in the the difficulties of this world that that weigh us down so much Uh, And that in the midst of our sorrows, we might even experience the joy of laughter. As we remember 
not our circumstances, but as we remember who you are and what you promised to do, and as we see your son Jesus, uh, help us to see him. And in that, Father, may we have great joy and great laughter. We ask it all in his name. Amen.